Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A-Time.com. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Sean Kerwin to the Philosophy Podcast. Sean is the offensive coordinator at the University of Virginia and one of my favorite people in the lacrosse world to talk to. How are you doing, man? Great, Jamie. Thank you again for having me back. Uh, excited to just sit down and kind of chat some lacrosse with you. Yeah, totally. So, um, so I think you watch a lot of hoops um, and you, you know, kind of get into college hoops and, you know, during the winter and spring. And then, of course, you know, it's all lacrosse. Then it gets into recruiting. This summer, a lot of PLL, but now it's playoff basketball. And um, tell me a little bit of what you're, what you're watching, what you're thinking, and what you're learning. Yeah, I mean, what a cool time to, you know, to be watching sports, right? Especially, you know, with football coming back too. But the fact that you're getting playoff basketball atmospheres every night and, you know, game sevens, it's, uh, you know, it's just an awesome time to, you know, sit back and, and kind of watch all of this. And so, yeah, with, with basketball in particular – you know, just loving the the chess matches that you're seeing with coaches and, you know, and teams and, you know, how they're, you know, point and counterpointing different strategies. And, you know, for me in particular, you know, some of the things that I'm always watching when I watch basketball is, you know, from an offensive standpoint, and you and I talk a ton about this is, you know, just that off ball pick action, uh, ways to to free people up with, uh, you know, multiple screens and different types of, of concepts off the ball. And then also just the, the, uh, the importance of switches in matchups and how that can manipulate defenses and how that, you know, a lot of times, a lot of offenses, it's, that's the first thing they do before they do anything else, right. Is, is get, is gain that switch. Um, and then they get into their, their sets. Uh, so that's the offensive side of things. And then from a defensive perspective, it's, uh, 
really interested in this concept of, you know, I know in basketball they call it icing ball screens, but really like refusing um, a player to, you know, not letting them use a pick, right, and really forcing their hand to go one way with it. Uh, and just, you know, with the two-man game on and off ball becoming more and more popular in lacrosse, um, you know, this defensive tactic uh, is, is really intriguing to me with especially like a, almost like a wing two-man game in lacrosse of, you know, how it could be used and, you know, how it could be effective from defense and then also how you can, you know, counter and what you get out of it as an offense to, to beat a strategy like that. Why do you think it works in basketball? They, they force them underneath and just give them less – passing angles and they rotate somebody yeah you know and I guess you know it part of it's obviously flow right if you're if the purpose of you setting a pick is to to gain that top side and, and to use it and all of a sudden a team doesn't let you you have to adapt yeah. so I think part of that is you know just to make offenses maybe un, uncomfortable and as a yeah. defense dictate you know to make team defense maybe a little bit easier um, just to you know dictate where the ball can go Yep. Um, you know, I think with, with hoops, it's, you know, sending somebody to the baseline is always an, an intriguing, uh, you know, concept and, you know, being able to, you know, maybe again, limit their options as an offense. Um, yeah. So, and then, you know, from an offensive strategy, I know you and I always talk about, you know, getting a defender on your back. Right. And so when you yeah. think about countering, uh, that ice concept, you know, is what do you call it? The hostage dribble, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so the getting someone to kind of be on your back and, and, and allowing your offense player to commit two to the ball pretty, you know, a lot easier than, than normal. Um, and then make your decisions from there. Um, you know, that's just kind of the chess match that's going on in my head when I see that type of concept. Yeah. So interesting. You know, I think in general, if you let everybody get comfortable in their two-man games, they're probably going to be able to get into a rhythm and, and, and to be able to control, you know, if you can easily control your own man and then begin to start controlling switches or inviting them over the top, you know, on your terms, you're probably going to have more success. So the idea of icing is like you're going to put pressure on. And then if you beat that pressure um, with too much speed – you're actually going to be going right into rotations and we're going to be able to like, you know, almost beat, beat the off ball movement. Whereas that's why that hostage dribble counter is so important because all of a sudden now you can take advantage of the overplay without rushing and eliminating your own space and time. Yeah, no, no question. And uh, again, it's that, you know, Yes, as a defense, you're trying to dictate what the offense can do, but then you can flip it right on them, right? And then yeah, and then yeah. make them kind of second guess what they're doing and unsure of their assignments, uh, you know, both from a help position and, and an on-ball position. Yeah. So. You see so much hostage dribble in NBA basketball. You see it a little bit in lacrosse. I talk about it with the athletes I work with all the time because if you can establish position and stop – you can basically take advantage of two-on-ones on your terms. And it seems, you know, counterintuitive for lacrosse players to not just run, but when you cut somebody off and slow down, oh, man, is it, is it interesting to watch. Yeah, and, you know, you, you watch it in basketball, the, the premier ball handlers, the ways, the windows that they can get into and still be, you know, in that triple threat position of, you know, 
being able to shoot themselves or, or feed or continue to dribble to better spots is, is incredibly impressive, you know, how, you know, how tight those windows can be. And so, you know, when you think about it from a lacrosse standpoint, it's, you know, I don't know if you'll be able to get into those, those tight of windows, but you can definitely, the further out you are, or, you know, in, in certain situations, it definitely is something that can be used, you know, especially right. if you're someone that with great stick protection is comfortable with that type of pressure on your back, which not, you know, not everybody is. And it's definitely something you got to learn to, to get used to. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost a little easier running down like the righty alley as a right-handed player and feeling comfortable cutting somebody off, even though you don't quite have the angle that you want, but it at least gives you a strong hand downhill view. Whereas when you go underneath people, it's better angles, but it's a little trickier with your stick protection and, and a need for like a backhand kind of. Right. Right. No, you see sense. a lot of lot of Canadian box players and native box players, you know, when they go underneath, they cut you off and then they start pumping their backhand to the adjacent low player. And yep. um, it's just, it's sick. It really is. It's so interesting. And it's something that almost nobody talks about because everybody talks about run by your guy, run by your guy, run by your guy. And while running by guys is huge, you, you're just going to run into traffic if you do that too much. It almost makes the defense's job easier, right? I mean, they yeah, practice yeah. all the time of when their guy gets run by. Right? Right. Exactly. That's, the, that's the basis of sliding and recovering drills is, all right, we got beat. This is what we're going to do. Yeah, and so, the read. The read yeah. is so obvious, number one. And number two, it's like I want you to think about, like, if, if the gap. There's always a gap between you and the next defender. So, in theory, what you want to be able to do is beat your man and not – run into the next defender which means you got to try to beat them and if you can cut them off and you can slow down in that gap now you've got control over that gap and essentially that player right and that's something that happens with with more probing type of mentality rather than just let's blow by people and it doesn't mean that there isn't a time to blow by people there is but but with good defenses they're always looking to crowd you and slide they're not going to just let you do that so I think that's a good segue into um, about a month ago when we weren't watching NBA basketball as much as we were watching PLL lacrosse. Right. And yeah. And MLL lacrosse. Yeah, no, what a, that was, I mean, for a lacrosse fan, what a, what a fun, you know, couple weeks there. Again, similar to what we're doing right now with basketball. It's just every night you had, you know, multiple games and, you know, it just seems like, you know, lacrosse was, on TV 24 seven in my house, you know, and it was just, it's, uh, and yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the strategies you use and just, you know, the, uh, I gave a ton, those coaches a ton of credit on, in both leagues with just how quickly they kind of had to assemble everything. Right. And, and build chemistry and, you know, you didn't really have time for trial and error as much um, than you might normally have of like, all right, let's try this set or this concept and if it doesn't work, we can always try something different. Like you almost had to like come in with a plan and trust your plan. And then, you know, yeah, you can make some adjustments here or there. And you saw, I think you saw that with the chaos, you know, especially when they hit the playoffs, Yeah. Um, you know, they made some, 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 you know, pretty major adjustments and tweaks, but you know, again, you run that risk of, you know, not having the chemistry built up. Right. And so that you're, you know, you're clicking and guys aren't thinking too much on the field. So it was, I give those coaches in both leagues a ton of credit for, you know, what they were able to put together in such short notice. Yeah, because the talent is also good that it really does come down to uh, 
chemistry and, and good decisions, you know. And, and so obviously the whip snakes kind of have an advantage with so many guys that have played together that their chemistry and their pecking order is a little bit uh, maybe already set. But then again, they lost a lot of their offensive talent and brought in some new talent of which you got to, you got to coach Zed Williams for one year at, at Virginia. What, what a freak that guy is, eh? Oh, man. First of all, what the, the, the best, like nicest human being you'll ever meet in your life. Um, right. Just, you know, you cannot say enough good things about Zeddy and you're still underselling it. It's, uh, he's just, you know, he's just a, an awesome, awesome human being. And, uh, you know, to see him have the success that he did, uh, you know, it, it, anyone that knows that it was, it was really heartwarming, uh, you know, to see him do what he did on that, on that stage. Um, and something that you always rooted for, you know, in his college years. And I'm sure even before, for those that knew him then, like, you know, you just, you, he's somebody that you just always were rooting for and you felt like he always deserved that success. Um, and, you know, and to see him, you know, get it uh, was, is really cool. Um, you know, and, and uh, just to talk strategy with the, the whips, you know, I thought it was cool. You know, they are different players, but a lot of what they were doing, it was almost like they would run it on one side and set up, you know, the, that kind of like off ball pass down, pick down for the righties with Zeddy, or they would do the same thing in a lot of ways with Rambo and the way that they were able to simplify it. Now, yeah, they were getting different you know, Rambo may have came off more as a feeder off those picks than maybe Zeddy, who was a little bit more going to the goal. But at least from a chemistry and a comfortability standpoint, they were pretty similar, right? And and so they were able to kind of hit them on, on both sides and keep things simple for their guys. And I, I thought that was a really uh, smart concept used by the uh, the Whipsnakes coaching staff. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's so hard to deal with. And nobody wants to switch a short stick. And Zed was just an absolute master at reading the play so you know it, he'd, he'd bring you over the top if you were trying not to switch and you were fighting over and he'd just score on you if you backed <laughs> off he'd just shoot it um you know it was just really remarkable how he was able to make the right read as to how the defense was playing and uh so so fun to watch and there's few people in that whole tournament that handled contact better than zeddy yeah. Like what he was able to do and how he was almost able to bring the contact to defense. But even if they're they normally against another offensive player, what they were doing, you would think they would be the ones bringing the contact to him. And he just seemed prepared and ready to, to lay his own boom on some, totally. some unexpected uh, defensive players, especially in the two-man game. So that was, uh, that was really fun to watch for him. I mean, Rambo and Zed are just these classic physical – attackman and it's funny because when you think about uh, think about running by people again we all like wish we could have jordan wolf and, you know, no question to have that type of speed is off the charts but man it is so hard to slide and deal with slide to and deal with these physical attackmen especially when they can feed like rambo being such a good feeder and so physical i mean they're what, what, you know there's not much you can do except just try to like soak soak their physicality and hope for a double. Because if you try to get physical with those guys, they they spin and bounce right off of you, and that's where a lot of these guys were beating themselves. Yeah, no no question. You know, having the ability and the privilege to coach, you know, Dylan Malloy and Zeddy Williams and Mike Krause and, and Matt Moore. These are these are guys that that love that contact and have just gotten more and more comfortable with it. And, uh, you know, it's, it is, it's a huge advantage and it, you know, 
can really put some strain, especially as they, you know, all continue to develop as feeders. You know, the biggest thing from Dylan from 2015 to 16 is, you know, he started to realize that he can manipulate defenses and, and, and pick them apart from his feeding, you know, and obviously still have those opportunities to put the ball in the net. But that was, you know, his biggest jump from the, the two years that I got to work with him. And, you know, you saw Mike Krause and, and, and definitely Matt Moore once we moved him down to attack, you know, the ability yep. to to use that size and strength and, and just the confidence to use contact um, and then, you know, use it from a feeding advantage, you know, not just scoring is you know, definitely such a huge development. It's just, it's almost as easy as if you stick your body in there and slow down in a dangerous area, people are going to start staring at you and you're going to be able to like find opportunities. I mean, it's, it's really remarkable how simple it can be if you can just get in there and with your head up. Yeah. Always looking for simple, right? <laughs> you know, Absolutely. if you have your option to, to do something that works and it's simple, you you pick that 10 times out of 10. So. Um, it seems like that this is like an era of attackmen that are, that are bigger with the Rambos and the Cuccinellos and the Zeds and even, even the guys that aren't as big, like, you know, Connor Fields, who obviously like, you know, sat, sat the last couple of games, but he's a physical player who's not a hugely physical guy, but he uses the, the contact and the lack of a cushion or, or a Ryder Garnsey too. I mean, right. Ryder isn't blown by anybody. Yeah, he'll hesitate if you overplay him and stuff, but he's really just sort of sticking his body in there and figuring out ways to get shots. And, and to me, this is such an art and such an interesting thing. And I wanted to get your opinion on how you think this is translating into lacrosse in college right now. Well, yeah, I think it's, you know, for me, and you bring up such a good point because you have guys like Ryder and, and Connor Fields who, you know, physically, you know, I'm sure they're not breaking records in the weight room, right? But, you know, to me, it's, yes, having the size and the strength is great, but all that's doing is helping you become more confident in those situations. And so it's, it's just a hundred percent of confidence. It's, you know, there are any attackmen can play that way as long as they're confident in those positions where they are in a little bit more of that post up where they are, you know, seemingly having their, you know, a guy stick on you or, or feeling that pressure from them. Um, you know, there's really not limiting. You don't have to be a big guy to do that. And I think that's why you're seeing it so uh, often in the college game and in the pros is because, you know, guys are getting more comfortable doing it. It has nothing to do with, you know, getting bigger, faster, or stronger. It just has to do with the practice. I think it's something that, you know, as coaches, you see, you know, more success, you see what it can do to a defense, the type of pressure it can put on. So you, you start to encourage your guys to do it more. And, uh, you know, with that encouragement comes more practice reps, right. And with that, with those practice reps, reps comes more comfortability and, you know, and then that will just lead to the confidence to, to put it together on game day. Um, and so you, it's such a good example with those two that you reference of just like, you know, it can be anybody that can do it. Totally. Um, and it's like, it comes down to this comfort level and it comes down to a little bit of technique too, because if you watch Rambo, he, he's just, he's, he's a thick boy, right? So he can, uh, he can, he can push in sideways with his head up whether it's right-handed or left-handed, he'll push into you and kind of shuffle his way in. He's still slowing his feet down, but he's kind of sideways. Whereas what Ryder tends to do, and even Connor Fields, they'll, they'll turn their back in such a way that it, it, 
it, it kind of nullifies the physicality for that period of time. It's not that they're always turning their back, but by turning your back, you've basically done a couple things. One is you're in a very deep spin position. So you're basically, if you're back, if you're on the island and your back is to the middle and you spin, it's going to be one pivot on your left foot if you're that lefty player. Whereas if you're sideways, you have to pivot on your right foot and then again on your left. And by that time, you're going to get pushed off your line. But the other thing is, is that these defensemen, they can't jack the crap out of your back. Right. They're not allowed to. And so, but they can jack the crap out of your arm. And so if you go sideways, you're going to get jacked. And then the last piece is, it's, it's kind of hard to check because you can't, you can't really do your, you know, reverse V holds, you know, crowbar or whatever as easily when the guy's back is to you, because what you've done is you've just instantly given them their underneath. And if you go fishing around, it's problematic. And I think that's one of the things that I've noticed out of these guys, but it's also like a cardinal sin of ass dodging, like no ass dodging, you know, but actually, I mean, I, I look at, Ryder and I marvel at his ability to score one-on-one -on -one goals as a less as a smaller and less athletic guy than his opponent every time yeah and it's uh, just a testament to just another um, aspect of this game where you know doesn't it's not a cookie cutter mold right and yeah. that's exactly what you're saying it's just you know if yeah if you have the size and strength to handle that type of you know counter uh checking you know that the counter resistance i think is the word i'm looking for from the defense you know maybe you are a little bit more sideways where if you know you're somebody that if you're comfortable with your back to it you know there's some huge advantages for that and uh you know and there's definitely you take away some of the things the defense can do but they in some ways they they are different in other ways they accomplish the same thing and the fact they that the defense oh. is uncomfortable and so there's no you know if that's something that's going to help you know a maybe not a strong or physical attackman, then, you know, it's something that we would obviously encourage. And, uh, you know, again, it's at the end of the day, you are putting the same type of pressure in a lot of ways on the defense. Totally. And if, again, if you're bigger, you can do it maybe more easily by just pushing in yourself. I mean, there's a lot of great techniques of the squared up post up where you actually have your chest squared up, your stick back, you know, you see like Lyle Thompson yeah. all the time. And then you're like in a really strong position of being able to maybe get that guy off balance because it's kind of like pushing a car out of the snow. You square up to it, push, and it's a strong, strong position. Um, point being, like you said, there's a lot of ways to do it. And I kind of feel like, um, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to each one. For example, if you turn your back, you're going to be more susceptible to uh, – you know, to your, uh, to your boss's quick double teams. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but then again, you know, you could always do the old Andy Shea soccer double and show it and uh, let them double and then just move it. Right. You know, they're, they're not going to keep coming. If you, if it comes down to the, I know what you're going to do. You know what, you know that I know that, you know, and the next thing you know, you're yes. not, you're not doubling anymore because you don't really want to give up an easy one. No question. No question. And that, uh, you know, again, it's just all that experience with moves like that. You get a little bit more in tune with what the defense could do to throw you on, throw you off balance, right? And if you have that kind of, maybe not checklist is the word I'm looking for, but when you just kind of have that, those thoughts in your brain, you know, you're, you're better prepared for those things. And so, you know, again, that's all comes from that, that confidence and comfortability and just, you know, pure just experience and reps. Um, there's really no substitute for, for getting, gaining that, uh, you know, on a practice field and beyond. What about, um, 
What are your thoughts on Brad Smith? Brad Smith, Laker, Mountain yeah. Lakes guy. Yeah, he, he and Christian Cuccinello. Uh, you know, they're both Mountain Lakes guys. Uh, I, I remember when they both were, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade. Um, you know, Brad is, you know, obviously knowing Brad as he grew up through the Mountain Lake system and then, you know, obviously coaching against him at Duke. You know, he's just such a cool, calm, collected player always has been and just you know it just seems like he can do he can fill so many roles and is such a uh you know he's almost like a coach's dream right I mean yeah. he can play tag he can play midfield he can invert he can dodge from up top he can feed he can shoot um you know I mean there's there's not a box out there that he doesn't check so true. and uh, and so you know when you have someone like that I mean man it's the it's the perfect you know puzzle piece right you know and you can you can run so many different things to maybe tailor towards other player strengths that maybe are a little bit more limited and and Brad can be a guy that can just fill the gaps right and not only fill the gaps but but give you some really good success doing so um and so yeah. it's a phenomenal honestly like he's on a he's on a team with like three of the top you know whatever six minis in the game <laughs> so he's on like an you know if he was on a team where he was getting more shots and more reps I mean he he's still scored he was up there like second lane scorer in the midfield I I think you know it's hard to, to not say Tom Shriver's the best midi out there but I, I would put Brad Smith as right there and second best midi in the world and maybe the most underrated guy coming into this league I'm what an unbelievable player the feel of the game for that kid is incredible Oh yeah. And he's the type of, he's the type of player, classic example where like, you know, you watch him play and you're like, yeah, he had a pretty good game. And then you look at the stat sheet and he's like one and four, yeah. and you know, and it's just like, and it's just, you almost have to like go back and watch to appreciate some of the things that he does. And um, you bring from a versatility standpoint, he's definitely making his, his, his name known uh, in that league and obviously in, in the country. And so um, no, it's been fun to watch him and, you know, obviously had a great career at Duke and then to see him come back from the injury and, and, you know, do what he's doing at the pro level is, is just really impressive. Really is. How's it going everybody? Jamie here. Thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying the content in my philacrosophy podcast, my inside the eight podcasts or my lacrosse weekend blogs, I would encourage you to check out the store at jamefreesports.com. I've created awesome content for coaches, players, and parents in both men's and women's lacrosse. For coaches, the coaches training program. It's, it's a combination of cutting edge and practical. We have division one men's and women's coaches all the way down to high school, JV, and youth. For players, I've created JM3 player academies, which are designed to teach every variation of every skill for boys and girls cross. And for parents, I've created JM3 recruiting portal, where I've taken all of the content from my blogs, my podcasts, from webinars and other interviews and pooled all of this information in one place where parents can get access to incredible content and insights from the very coaches that you're hoping to play for. Really watching, watching that whole level of play and watching it kind of evolve, what was your take on how the games were played and how it improved? Because it seemed to me incredibly packed in defensively early and it was like not great spacing on the offensive part I think it was just not enough ball movement to sort of spread the defense out but what was your take on how people sort of um evolved as the way they played offensively from the beginning to the end Did you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, in the beginning, you know, as, as coaches, you always talk about like roles and how you predict how like, you know, kind of your one, two and three options, things like that. And how, how you think your team's going to, to operate, right? It's kind of part of the whole coach, especially in that quick of turnaround. You just don't have time to really see actual results. So it's a lot of hypotheticals. And, you know, I think that part of it was, you know, everyone trying to kind of figure out where they were, um, you know, maybe not the pecking order, but just kind of like what their role was. Um, and, you know, and you saw some, you saw the ball die a little bit more early in, yeah. in uh, you know, and guys maybe trying to do a little bit too much. But again, I think part of that's just chemistry and guys just yeah. getting used to playing with each other. And then as the leagues went on, you actually saw once teams kind of figured out what made them go and what would set them up for the best success, then you started seeing the confidence and the, the, the rate that the ball was moving um, to get to those, you know, sweet spots and to get to those, you know, bread and butter looks that teams started committing to, you know, you just saw guys getting through those progressions a lot quicker. Um, and then when they were able to do that from an on ball and just a ball movement standpoint, then you started seeing the off ball play really start to get, you know, cause that's all timing, right. And you got to get comfortable with who's got the ball on ball and, and who you're working with off ball. Um, and so I think it was kind of a progression as, you know, and then by the end you started seeing some, really great off ball movement you know um and and just the the timing of those cuts and the positions that they were in and just again you just you just saw teams getting on the same page you know and I think each team was different and uh you know I think some teams never really got there um as you know every team had a different timeline of when they were hitting that sweet spot but once they did man it was it was really fun to watch and again I think that all comes to down to the fact that these guys really weren't together for very long. Right. And it wasn't, it was almost not fair to expect elite offense to begin with. You know, I think the way they pick the teams, you know, and just like the, the PLL defensively, you felt like there was more chemistry with a lot of these teams. I mean, obviously the Redwoods have pretty much the entire Notre Dame defense and the, the Whipsnakes pretty much have the entire Maryland defense. And, you know, the ability for these coaches to, you know, use vernacular and, and these guys to talk to each other in the same language um, really kind of gave them the advantage, um, especially early on. Um, not to mention that, you know, with a 15 yard arc, you're able to pack it in maybe a little bit more and, um, you know, not have to extend out as much, you know, and then, but then again, all it took was the offense to gain that chemistry and get comfortable with how all the pieces were going to fit. And then you saw the ball moving quicker. Then you saw yeah. the Dodgers being a little bit more confident. And then the off ball came with it. And it just was, you know, it seemed like there was a uh, couple of games in a row where just the floodgates started to open. Um, and you just saw some, some different levels of offense. It was pretty sick though, watching the Redwoods whip snakes matchup where the Redwoods held Zed and Rambo to no goals. Yeah, no, no question. And, and you know, I mean, credit the whip snakes, they still won the game, but the way that they, Double picks, you know, on the goal line picks on Zed, the left on left V hold, the on the Apple Rambo matchup um, was really cool to watch. What's your what were what what are your thoughts on the uh, on the left on left V hold from an offensive perspective? Well, I mean, you're talking to a guy that works for you know one of the biggest proponents of of the V hold in, in college lacrosse, and so 
Um, you know, it's something that we're very used to seeing every day at practice. And, uh, you know, it is challenging for as an offense because it's, um, you know, it's elite in a lot of ways. It's a legal hold. I mean, hold is literally in the in the turn. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, getting used to that has actually helped us, I feel like, from an offense standpoint at Virginia for when teams don't use it as much as it helps us for when teams do use it i think it, it equally gives us this confidence of like okay you're not going to be hold uh, then you know we have a you know pretty good uh you know array of things we can do when teams refuse to do it and so it's uh it's been fun to have that be a part of of what you see every day because um, it is you know it is a challenge and it's different and it's uh you know if you can kind of eliminate the i feel in my my opinion it's a lot harder if you're a team that doesn't see V-holds all the time, and then you see it, it's a lot harder to counter than the opposite. Um, yeah. V-holds, and then all of a sudden someone isn't and trying to fist hold it on the corner. And, you know, I just think you have such an advantage there. I, I, I think that's one of the reasons why lefties struggle with it, because I'm a lefty, and I hate when people V-hold me, because I didn't see it very much, because there's not that many lefty defensemen out there. As a lefty attackman, you're usually just getting cross-checked and slapped beat up but you can just your hands are free and all of a sudden it's deep in there and you it's just it's 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 something that like you know righties don't really have as big of a problem with v-holds as i think as lefties do yeah i, I think they see it more often right there's more righty defensemen than, right. than lefties so you definitely get it on that side um but yeah no if you can get a guy that can really get in there and, and not only you know that combo of using your stick but you know, following up with your forearm and your and your body in general, getting your legs behind it, it's it's a challenge, you know. Yeah, because basically your legs are below them and your stick is above, and you've kind of got this little clamp situation if you keep your feet moving. Yeah, that, that makes it makes it hard. And 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 you know, the, to Rambo's credit, it wasn't like they weren't sliding. I mean, they had guys coming immediately, but it's hard to feed through it, which is the whole point of V holds as it relates to ball pressure. Yeah, no question. And the ability to tie hands is, uh, you know, it's definitely an advantage when you when you get in there and, and get under that under that arm. And, you know, it's just it, the sticks there. Right. And so, you know, you step away and it's it doesn't go anywhere, really. So let's talk a little MLL lacrosse. Did you watch much of that? Yeah, watch a ton. Um, you know, it's pumped for uh, my guys, Coach Quirk and Coach Kopaki with the Boston Cannons. Um, I actually got to help out the Cannons. Uh, and coach on that staff in 20 summer of 2016 um, so you know I know those guys well so I was really happy to see them kind of come come to fruition and my guy John Upgren man it's the coolest thing for me watching the MLL was like it was unveiling a curtain to almost like the rest of the country of like you know these div got division three guys and you know just these non-traditional college lacrosse players coming in and just absolutely you know dominating you know it's you know upgrade for for the cannons had a great run especially towards the end of the year and you know ryan lee for uh denver you know his rit background and you know, the minicus kid for the barrage from amherst like you just every team had some some d3 flavor and for me being a division three guy and you know always obviously biased but always having confidence in those players and just knowing that there's such great talent in those leagues and especially at the top end is was really really cool to watch everyone else kind of realize that you know and just you know I know remember talking to some of the guys on on our team at Virginia and then making that comment of you know 
how impressed they were with with those guys from that background. Ryan Lee is such a fun player, so under the radar, Canadian. Oh but he's an Ontario guy, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. He he used he scored a goal on this uh, on this move called the Victoria look back. Yeah, I I remember your blog. I was watching Talk that. About that, right? Yeah. yeah. So, when I was 35 in 2002, I decided to try out for the Mammoth. Mm-hmm. I, I'd played in the league 10 years earlier, like literally, like it was 92, 93 the last time. But I was like, ah, they're coming to town. I just want to like, you know, good reason to get in shape, go learn something. And Gary Gate was on the team. And every single time he would catch the ball, he would like look <laughs> at the head of his stick for a moment really? before he came out finishing. And it was like, I was just like watching all the Canadians because I, I, I wasn't a very good finisher. I just didn't, didn't have that box across finishing opportunity to learn. Mm-hmm. With all the pickup now, I'd probably be better than I was then. Like, you know, I played on small nets all the time, but Gary Gate kept on looking at a stick. And like five years later, I mentioned it to Steve Govett, who's currently the president, uh, GM of the Seals, and was at the time with the Mammoth. He's like, oh, that's the Victoria look back. And it's actually the most insane hesitation move ever. Um, yeah. But like, again, like, you know, these, these kid these players from all over the place are just doing the most high level things. I mean, Upgren is an absolute highlight reel of, of how to get it done without necessarily being the more athletic, you know, than your opponent. His creativity and confidence, it, it, it was, it was opening coaching him at, at Tufts um, coming in as a, as a freshman and just, I mean, man, his, his confidence was through the roof and, and it, it just that, you know, further made me believe how important that is, especially for, for freshmen, for, in, you know, coming in. If You know, the freshmen that play in college lacrosse are the most confident. Like, it's just that that's the, the deciding factor in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, right. So, and John Upgren was the first one to really introduce me to that. And, uh, um, man, the, the things that that guy does and tries to do, it's just um, – it's so much fun to watch when you know that's what that's what he does and and then you know I, I the Tufts contingency on Twitter when he was doing those the uh, some of the goals he was scoring and just some of the moves he was displaying on that stage I mean we, it, it was laughable of how like normal that was to us right and everyone else kind of freaking out of the things he was doing and it was just like another day at the office for Uppy and so uh, it was really cool to see him get that opportunity and I mean, the man is just a competitor and a winner, and, and you saw that. And, you know, he, he really helped that team kind of get over the hump um, as they rounded into the playoffs and then obviously the championship game. So it was a really cool moment for, for me as a tough guy and cool. just in general. How about Randy Stotts? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> talk about a guy that, that is creative, right, and, and just so confident with uh, his abilities and his, and his stick work and his – um, just in that behind the, yeah, I mean, some of the things he was doing that behind the back feed was just incredible, incredible. And, uh, you know, it was almost like one of those where you had to rewind it a couple of times to make sure it was, you know, actually on purpose and not just a check. And, and obviously it was, and, yeah. um, but yeah, he's, I think my favorite one, uh, from him of that tournament, again, you know, you don't want to be harder for the listeners to kind of follow, but you'll know what I'm talking about where he got to the middle off some two man game with Challen Rogers. And then he must've thrown like 
10 different pump fakes and face dodges and as <laughs> a way to get into the heart. Yeah. It is just like that. That to me was, you know, Randy stats in, in a, you know, in a nutshell right there. Yeah. And pretty similar to his younger brother, Austin, who did that a couple times. I mean, the way these guys hitch is insane. Uh, and it just, it, it just shows like the power of pause and the power of fakes. Um, and, and these guys have a, a real fluency. They just know how to do it. And they've got the, like you said, the confidence to do it and the poise to just understand how to slow down and just keep hitching the defense. They react. They, they react probably more in a game than in a practice, but it's, it's just wild. Yeah. And like, as an outsider too, you're watching him do it. And it's like, you're kind of like, it's natural for you to kind of like freak out. Right. And be like, I, like you still pump faking, like, you know, and then, but like, it'd be what a cool experience it would be to just kind of be in their brains of like how slow it was moving for them and those things and how, you know, how routine it would be for them to do something like that. Um, you know, and it's just, again, it's just, you just marvel at it when you, when you watch it. Um, and so it, again, it's just, that to me was, those three weeks or a month of lacrosse in general on TV. But then, I mean, some of the moments that you got to capture from that time, um, you know, there'll be, you know, some of the best highlights in, in either pro leagues history when no it doubt. boils down to it. And so, uh, you know, you were watching from an individual standpoint, it's incredible. Obviously the, the team standpoint, things took a little time to get there, but from an individual standpoint, that was from, from the first game, you know, you were seeing some of these things. So um, it was really fun for me because I spent the whole month of June um, in Narragansett, Rhode Island with, with family and friends playing pickup lacrosse. And I think we watched a bunch of those videos. And um, I went through and edited, you know, I've been putting them on my blog too. So for people that want to check it out, you can probably go back a couple of weeks. But um, it's actually remarkable to look at the similarities between the highlights in these games of like the multiple hitches where it's like one, two, three, four, five, six hitches before somebody like shoots a curveball. And you, you know, for people out there that are wondering, how do you get to this level of this poise and this confidence? And the same thing that you said about upgrade, where it's just like, it's what he does. He's not afraid to try stuff. The best way to, to, to sort of get a feel for all of this, to gain this fluency and also to be able to have the confidence is just to go do it with your friends. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I always think back to when I was growing up and, you know, three by wasn't a thing and I never played, I wish I did play box lacrosse. I feel like that would have, you know, expanded my game to a whole nother level. Uh, but, you know, I do remember being out in the front, you know, the front yard of my house with my, you know, my three brothers and any friends that we could find and just playing, you know, mini like fiddle stick lacrosse on a small yeah. net and how competitive, being the third of, of four, you know, I was the third brother. Right. And just like, you know, you kind of always had that competitive chip on your shoulder as number three. And, you know, just knowing how, like, I hated to be saved, hated it growing up and, you know, on these mini nets. And so just that ability to, you know, have the confidence to throw fakes and manipulate goalies and shoot with deception on that small net. It, I truly believe that kind of led me to, you know, the, the ability to do that, you know, in high school and then in, 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 in college. And it's kind of crazy to think back, like that was probably more valuable to my development and my game as a, as an off ball finisher than, you know, playing in just normal youth, you know, full field, field lacrosse. For sure. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Randy Stotts came down to Florida um, 
last winter at one of our little friend and friends and family things as long as we invite sometimes we'll invite a pro down to join our pickup game it's always fun to sort of see what they do and get film on it it's sick by the way i'll share it with you sometime but he was talking about finishing he's like oh yeah i pretty much just would shoot on my dad i do breakaways on my dad every day on a small net on a box net and and shooting on dad i, I always tell all the athletes i work with i'm like if you go shoot on dad you know with a with the right size net and the goalie stick and all that you will learn the things that that these guys are doing because it comes down to touch and feel and what everybody kind of wants to work on when they shoot is just their power and their accuracy which of course is important but if you if you kind of like slow it down and you learn the touch and the feel of moving a goalie and deceiving a goalie you can instantly add that to the power and accuracy that you're going to be working on on your own and it's just a really interesting way of thinking about improving your finishing Right. Absolutely. I remember we would do like Stanley cup shootouts, right. With just yeah. the mini clips and, you know, just go, you get, you know, five opportunities and see how many times you could score. And, you know, you only had one shot each round. Right. And so, you know, you made a count and you made sure that you were doing everything you can to make sure that ball found its way to the back of the net. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's really cool to, especially with how popular it's become, you know, the three by and, and, you know, obviously box lacrosse is just absolutely taking off. Yeah. Just, you know, to think back to, you know, it's not the same, but just, you know, it's somewhat close. So that's kind of how I learned how to finish was on a small goal and small sticks and, you know, and, uh, you know, it's these small windows. So totally. Um, let's talk a little bit about recruiting in the COVID era. So a lot of people, um, you know, are really bummed that they haven't been able to go out and see people live. And I'm sure you're in that camp because it's, it's fun and it's valuable. But I want to hear your opinion that now that you've had to go through an entire you know, summer of evaluation with no in-person, can you talk about what, what you like about it as well as what you, what you don't? Yeah. So, you know, again, I think to me, it's a comfortability thing, right? It's, you know, you're so used to seeing people play live from an evaluation standpoint that, you know, changing that going to be uncomfortable it's going to be different uh, I don't necessarily believe that different is worse um, you know I think that you're talking about a group of coaches that pour over film pour over it right from their own practice film to their own individual film to to scouting opponents to evaluating their own team in game situations um, you know if there's ever a group that can handle going all virtual and, and, and doing everything from a film basis, it should be us college coaches. And yep. so again, I don't necessarily think that different is worse. Um, you know, I do think that it's going, there are some things that might take getting used to, um, but at the same time, and, and I think maybe that'll make people a little bit hesitant to be aggressive or, or do what they normally do, whatever that process is. Um, you know, it might, you know, slow that down a little bit or just have some, you might have some more hesitations, but I mean, you got to make sure that for me, it's like, are your hesitations, you know, because you're nervous because it's different or because you actually feel like you need a better look at somebody. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily mean, think that that means you need to see them live. Um, I really don't. I think it just, I think you need to, you know, if you're not confident, you're not confident. I, I don't think there's one reason or another why you're not. And so, um, you know, so again, I, I'm in the camp of, you know, 
different definitely doesn't mean worse. Right. And, and, but yeah, I mean, I think actually it's probably been, been an amazing exercise for you and college coaches because the reason why you pour over so much film, even particularly your own film, your own practices, is because you don't really know what happened until you watch it on film. Right. And so that's the same in recruiting. You can go watch somebody live and think they were awesome and then go back and watch the film and you will not think it was as good. And if you didn't think they were that good and you go back and watch it, you'll probably think, yeah, they were a little better than I thought because it's the, the advantage of pausing and rewinding. Yeah. And obviously, you know, in a best case scenario, you're doing both. And I'm sure right. that'll be the, the end of this is when, you know, things are back to somewhat normal and you can do both. I think a lot of coaches will choose to do both and, totally. and not, and so um, I do think that no matter what, everyone will learn something that will help them in the recruiting um, from this whole experience. Um, and so, um, you know, again, in an ideal world, yes, it's, but I mean, college coaches, we're not allowed to live scout anymore. So, I mean, you're, you're building game plans against opponent purely based on film, you know? And so, you know, it's to me, if you're, you know, putting a win and a loss on the, on the, on the, line just from film you should feel you know equally as confident of you know putting future wins and losses you know if you think of it that way with recruiting you know with that. So, um you know again i think it's just maybe it just took some people a little bit of time just to get comfortable with it well the way it's always been is you go to these events and you go watch and um you know and it is it is worthwhile to see that you know, there's things you can't tell on film as well, like, you know, what kind of pop the athlete has and, you know, kind of like burst, the physicality, the intensity, some of the communication is, is hard to see. You don't necessarily get to see what they're doing in warm-ups or, you know, in the huddles as, as well as, you know, you can sort of see some of these intangibles. So I think there's absolute definite value to being there. But I think you're right. I think people are, whereas it used to be like 95-5, you know, in person, yeah, if that, no, right, yeah. 99 to one, yeah. um, you know, maybe now it's going to be more, I don't know, closer to 50, 50. I don't really know where it'll be. I can't imagine people aren't going to be on the road, but, but, but I definitely don't think they're getting as good of a look on the road as they could if they just dove into a lot of film and actually looked at it. Cause I, I don't think college coaches really viewed film recruiting film the same way they would, in, re, would review a, 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 an opponent's film when they're preparing. Right. And, and I think it's important too, if like, you know, just that understanding of that, like everyone's going to be different. Everyone's going to have different levels of comfortability with this, but everyone recruits in a different way and everyone has a different process. And that's no different in this era. I mean, they, it might be, you know, what's different might be, you know, you know, changed, but still it's, you know, no, no school is going to be the same with how they approach this. And, uh, you know, I think it's, everyone's just trying to figure it out what work, works best for their school and, you know, where to go from there. If you were to if you were to characterize, you know, fifty thousand feet, what gets your attention out of a recruit? How, could you do that? Just big picture. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's you know, I think what's nice about the film is that it's always on, right? Like you don't you don't miss anything. Now you might not be able to see some things like you were alluding to, yeah. but you also have this ability to make sure what you're seeing is true. Right. And that like, it's not like a flash of information that you have to trust your eyes and, and 
fact that you weren't distracted and you know that you actually saw what you think you saw whereas you know i always laugh i say you know the the power of the rewind button is you know why the most valuable thing in this whole situation is like totally. you know all right how did that happen all right is that was that truly something that could be a positive or is that something that just happened by chance like what what caused that you know my interest to be peaked right what caused me to be like whoa you know what 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 happened there and uh, um you know, I think that to me is, is the most valuable thing that you get is just the ability to make sure what you're seeing is actually true. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so um, that would be. Yeah. One of the things that uh, Dom Starger, the, the former Virginia coach, my former coach at Brown, he used to just sort of talk about, you know, that the players that he recruited had some sort of special quality about them. And it could be a lot of different things. Um, you know, and it was usually a combination of things, but that special, that presence in that special quality of physical characteristics with skill and things like that. And, you know, I thought, I always thought that was interesting. And then I, I feel like I was always attracted to the players that did interesting things where I'd be like, what was that? That was really interesting. Why did he do that? Because it kind of led me down a path of IQ. And I was curious if you, if you start, if you think about players, obviously there's gotta be a baseline of physicality and strength and speed, but you know, once you start peeling, peeling that back, how do you, how do you evaluate for creativity and um, you know, or, or someone that's just taking too many risks and just being sloppy? Uh, I actually am a big believer. Like the guys that I gravitate towards are those that, think a pass ahead and I actually think it's something that's easier to to evaluate um you know maybe because that's how I thought I played but like if I can see that somebody thinks a pass ahead or you know before they make that move or you know you see it a lot in like odd man rushes you know if, you know if you're getting a pass in an odd man and that thing is in and out of your stick passing it to the next guy that's open mm -hmm. um to me that's a sign that the game moves slowly for you and then that to me is how I try to evaluate lacrosse IQ. Um, you know, and so if, if, you know, again, it's the more you see it, the more you trust that it wasn't just his teammates screaming one more or things like that. Right. And that it, this is actually something this guy does on the regular. Uh, but seeing that um, is such a, to me, is such a tip off that, all right, this guy is, the game is moving slow enough for him to process things at a, at a fast rate. So important seeing the field. I actually did a podcast on that a couple of weeks ago. Um, I know in, in soccer, they measure head turns off the ball with off the ball offensive players. And they say in 10 seconds, in the 10 seconds before, before receiving the ball, the average player in the Premier League in England would turn their heads three to four times, whereas the, the highest level players, the elite players, would turn their heads six to eight times before receiving the ball, taking those snapshots and scanning the field. Do you actually look for people's heads turning? I, I don't. And that's probably something I should track. Um, you know, it's, and probably something that I will do starting with our own guys here and then, uh, you know, using it towards, towards recruiting as well. But you no, know, it's definitely a, an interesting, you know, cause again, what I just told you is a little bit more 
opinion based, right? And judgment based on my own that I think is doing that. Whereas, you know, what you're talking about, head turns, it's a tangible, it's a stack, right? It's yeah, something yeah. that you can count. It's, a, yeah. it's, it's data. And so um, that's always interesting to, to find more things to track. Because um, again, that'll give you, you know, some data to then, you know, hopefully ask you, you know, may force you to ask more questions about, you know, why he's doing that and is that helping his game and, and, and which obviously, you know, in other sports, it's proving that that's a valuable stat to track. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, you're always looking for things like that, as, you know, because especially in the game of lacrosse, you don't have the resources that maybe some of these other sports where you can literally track and, and collect data on everything, you know, so you're always kind of looking for like, all right, what are some things that are you know will help you and and those are the you want to spend the focus on and and, and putting in the time to to track and, and and collect that data when i was a senior in college i i decided i really wanted to be able to be good at that and so i would practice trying to like look away because it's the hard part about it is not looking away the hard part is is, is not dropping the pass that's coming to you when you're trying to look away and time that and also zero in and really concentrate on the catch because there's nothing worse than like being, you know, looking away and then not making the catch. Um, but, uh, but it is, it is something that's teachable. And I think it's, uh, it's really interesting. That's one of the things you, you look at. Are there any ways you can sort of identify if somebody has um, looked uh, to set up dodges? It's easy to kind of see it with a one-time feed, but how about the way they're seeing a pass ahead to set up opportunities to attack? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think it's the way they approach their move. And again, I think to me, it's more coming off of the dodges off approaches, maybe not as, as much as the initiating dodges, but like yep. seeing the space they have and feeling that again, talking about head turns, right? Like using their eyes to see, all right, I got some space where I have the time to wind up and to, you know, give that defenseman maybe some thoughts that, you know, my goal is to shoot this ball and maybe I'm in an opportunity to shoot this ball, but then, you know, having your move out of that. Whereas, you know, if that defenseman is more, you know, not as sucked in off ball where that approach is going to be shorter, you know, maybe I'm not wasting my time doing that. And I'm thinking about, you know, catching it with my, my shoulder square and uh, in that dual threat position a little bit more and, and, you know, trying to threaten instead of the, threatening a shot or a dodge I'm trying to threaten dodging either way right yeah. and, and and again so I think that's where I would say I evaluate it most from a dodging standpoint is, is you know manipulating approaches and, and and choosing which is the best method to to attack those approaches last question on evaluating IQ um, do you look at deceptiveness in players to sort of identify how smart they are and their ability to manipulate their opponents, you know, on ball and off ball. Yeah. And that's an interesting one because it's like, you know, I feel like deception can be used in two ways. Um, deception can be used in the way that you're talking about, which is, you know, obviously a great sign of IQ, but it also can be used like almost unnecessarily. And so it's kind of like, uh, differentiating that like is this guy using deception to show off and use flash and, and most of the time it's not but every now and then you get it like you know the, the guy that throws a no look feed but like throws it and then looks away right or something like that and, and, and uh, you know differentiating that but definitely from a finishing standpoint the poise and the and the deception from a shooting um in tight in particular or, you know on the run 
is one as well. Um, you know, using subtle things, like everyone can throw three fakes and everyone can, you know, change planes when they shoot, but it's those, you know, using their shoulders and their head to manipulate in those tight windows. Um, you know, that type of deception to me screams at these, again, it's, it's really just screaming that the game's slowing down for these guys. Yeah. Right? They have the wherewithal and the comfortability to know they have the time and the space to, to execute something that you and I know doesn't, you don't need a big window to do it, but you know, for uh, you know, a player that's trying to improve on it, it takes some time to get used to, you know, how big that window is and, you know, how quickly you can get some of these, you know, concepts, you know, you can accomplish some of these things. And so um, to me, it's, that's just another uh, kind of tipping point of, you know, this, this game is moving slower for this player. Yeah. In the big picture of looking at it, can players slow the game down for themselves by knowing what they're going to do without it by deception. And I, I kind of look at the two kinds of deception you were talking about is one is fakes and the other is deception. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, people can throw fakes all day long, but deception really to me means you're actually eliciting a response that's going to be in your favor, whatever that response is. So like it's, if it's your double threat posture, you're dodging threat posture and you dig somebody in to buy a little bit of time for yourself, very subtle, but it's, but it's control in the same control, you know, well, that'll get maybe off ball people to start looking at you. Um, and you know, it, it's just, it's a little bit of a difference between, you know, um, just trying to regurgitate a bunch of, uh, a, a bunch of skills versus actually kind of knowing how to play with, 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 with regard to fluency and IQ. So maybe it's like, you know, re receiving a ball off an approach and just looking to the right to set up your split to your left. I mean, that, that those really subtle things that happen all the time, um, these little hesitations that cause people to, the defense to hesitate um, are sort of these nuances that, that uh, I was sort of referencing. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I always, I'm a big believer in it that when I teach off ball finishing and just off ball play in general, from like a crease standpoint, it's like, you always have more time than you think. And so, you know, a, a mantra of ours is, you know, always catch, look, finish. Right. And, and the thing that I always tell our guys is like, if you don't think you have time for any of those three, cause you're just, everything's so tight, you always have time to catch the ball. And if you think you have time to catch the ball, you have time to get your eyes on the, on your target and to see kind of where the positioning of the goalie is and, and everything. And then if you think you only have time to, to look, you actually have time to throw a fake. And so, you know, I'm trying to teach them that, you know, that's our priority, but you always have, if you think you only have time for this, you can, you can do one step more than that. And so um, it's, that kind of talks about what you were saying and just, you know, and those windows, it's, again, if the game slowed down for you, you, you realize how much time you actually have. Awesome. Sean, thanks so much for taking the time to talk lacrosse. I know it's a football game to start right now. We, um, we got to go, go watch a little NFL football. But in the meantime, let's do it again sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me.